Gospel of John, chapter 14, and we'll begin by reading the first few verses from that wonderful passage. John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. Jesus is speaking here, and you should know this will be important for the sermon this morning. Chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you should know that directly after that he is arrested, the mock trial takes place, and on he goes to the cross. What he has to say in these three chapters of the utmost importance as he is preparing his disciples for his departure. As you can see, the name of the sermon today is called Something to Look Forward to, and he gives them this wonderful hope in verses 1 to 3. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Maybe throughout the course of this week, you could have used that, amen? Your heart just gets troubled. That's part of being in this world. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I can ask you to please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Father, please come down now. Speak to our hearts. Lord, all of us at a certain point, we need to hear these blessed words. Let not your heart be troubled. Thank you for giving us something to look forward to. Lord, help us to cling now, desperately cling to this blessed hope. And Father, for those that are maybe struggling, especially I beg you to speak to them today. And Lord, let this be the encouragement they need to keep pressing on. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You ever had a long week that you just wish could end? Is that a dumb question? <laughs> That's, that seems so obvious, right? You know what keeps you going many times in the midst of a difficult week? Is you know Friday's coming, right? That, that last bell on Friday when the whistle blows or the clock strikes five or whatever time you knock off, finally, finally, the weekend is here, right? For so many people, salvation is found in a, in a weekend. <laughs> Just let me make it to the weekend. For some people, it's been a rough few months filled with deadlines, plural, pressures, high expectations, Everywhere you go, from every walk of life, whether you're at home, school, work, friends, just seems that the weight of the world is bearing down on you. And it's been like this for month after month after month. And what keeps you going is knowing at the end of the year, there's going to be a break. I, I, I'll get the vacation that the work has been promising me or that school offers. There's going to be a break. I will have a chance to take a breath eventually imagine if you will running a race you're at the starting line and it's fitting that they start it with a gun right pow they shoot the gun in the air and that gets you moving 
Now imagine running the race, but with no finish line in sight. They have put you at the starting line, shot the gun, off you go, but you have no idea when the race will end. You have no idea what to expect while you're running. Is this going to be one straight line? Are there hills involved? Will I have a chance to stop and grab a sip of water? Is this a 100K marathon or is this a 50-meter sprint? We don't know. Can you imagine the pressure, the stress, the anxiety that you would feel if somebody just looked at you with that very serious look, shot the gun and said, run, sucker, run. (laughs) Now, what do you do? It Even for you running fanatics, which by the way, I have nothing in common with you on that point. I have no idea what the big deal is. But even a running fanatic, somebody who loves to do it, might feel a bit anxious about going for that jog or that run. When is this going to end? My sister, she's a wonderful young lady. Her and I get along so well. Until recently, you know that my dad got saved recently, but until recently, her and I were the only saved people in our family, and we've enjoyed such great fellowship over the years. She was actually saved just a couple months before I got saved, years and years ago. And when Caleb left South Africa, moved back to America, he actually lived with Pam, my sister, for a little while, and uh, really appreciate all she did. But Pam sat down with Caleb, and they were discussing, you know, this is practical life stuff. Let's, let's have a code word that in case something has gone drastically wrong, if I say this code word, you know to come running, to, to come and help me because there's some danger, imminent danger. And uh, so Caleb said, well, yeah, if, if I'm in trouble, I will say this. And then Pam said, yeah, if you ever hear me say I'm out for a jog, <laughs> know that I am under horrible duress and you should call 911 <laughs> Because I promise, under no circumstance will I ever say that unless I'm really in trouble. (laughs) I don't think I'm that averse to jogging. I don't have that big of a problem with it. But it does illustrate the point that some people view the race, they, they view the run as maybe the worst thing that can happen. And and what I'd like to do just for a few minutes this morning is try to in place of the chaos that you might feel when presented with the race of life, right? The the Bible says we're supposed to run a race, yes? And the Bible also says in Hebrews 12, run the race with patience. But it's very difficult to be patient if you don't know that there is an end in sight. It's very difficult to be patient if you don't know what to expect as you're running, If we're going to run the race with patience, at least let me know how long it's going to take. Let me know what challenges I might face. Let me know what kind of help is available as I run. Jesus knew that for the disciples, their race was about to get difficult. Until this point in their lives, they've been walking with Jesus three and a half years. They have been shielded from much of the problems and persecutions of the ministry. Not that they didn't feel any of it, But Jesus felt the brunt of it. Now Jesus is going away. And he knows they're about to face the full force of the world's hatred. The race is about to get much more difficult. Now what can he tell them that will help them not only to endure the race, but run it with joy? 
to finish the course, but to do it also with joy. In the Bible, what we've read about in verses 1 to 3, it has different names. We call it the rapture. That's the, that's the name that we assign to it. That's not a word you'll find in the Bible. But it does properly describe what this event is all about. In the Bible, you'll find it called different things. You'll see it called the gathering together unto Christ. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In the book of Romans, you can put this together with Ephesians 4, the redemption, the day of the redemption of our bodies. If you're saved this morning, your soul has already been redeemed. That is, Christ purchased it with the blood that he shed on the cross. But our bodies are not yet fixed, amen? The problems are still here in the body, both physical and spiritual. The fleshly nature, right, is still there. But one day, when Jesus comes to take us home, that problem gets fixed. The body gets redeemed. We also read in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this hope, this is what we have to look forward to. And I'll be honest, I, I don't often get to preach on these kind of things, but I really do enjoy it when God says, just preach about heaven for a little while. So if it's not a, a deep sigh of relief for you, it is for me. I enjoy every now and then putting aside the distractions of the world. I know that tomorrow morning I'll have to deal with them. But every now and again, it's nice to just stop and think about the finish line. It, it makes me remember why I'm running the race and how worth it, how worthy this race is of my utmost effort. Because at the end of the race, I'm not going to regret all the effort I put into it. At the end of the race, I get to see my Savior face to face. Now, if that's not enough to keep you chugging on, I don't know what is. Jesus says, guys, it's going to get tough. Just want you to know you have something to look forward to. And I can say the same thing to every single human being in this room right now. There's going to be some tough times. I promise you that. But if you're saved, wow, you have something to look forward to. You have something to look forward to. There's only two points to today's sermon. Now, you might look at that and think, wow, praise God, this is going to be a short one. <laughs> You're cute. <laughs> yeah. uh, but let's just go through these things one at a time. Point one, why did Jesus say this? Number one, to offer stability. To offer stability. Can I take you back a few verses? John chapter 13, verse 36. John 13, actually verse 33, forgive me. John 13, 33. I want you to see the context. Little children. He's saying this to a group of grown men. That's a spiritual reference. Amen. Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. Now when he says a little while, he's talking just a few hours, right? He's, he's going to be dead in less than a day here. A little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. Let that sink in for a moment. They have been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. They have been in his presence. And I says, guys, I'm going away. And you can't come with me. Did you know that after you've become accustomed to the presence of God, the most fearful thing that can be said to you is you are not going to have that 
overwhelming alongsidedness of God for a spell. There's nothing more troubling for a Christian than for the Lord to say, I'm going to hide my face for a while. You see, because any of life's challenges can be faced, they can be held, handled and dealt with if you know that God is near, if you can feel His presence. But when He says, I'm going somewhere and you can't come with, what? Lord, my one, my chief desire, my primary purpose is to be close to you and enjoy your presence. And now you're saying that you're going to go somewhere and I can't come with? Verse 34, he tells them what to stay busy doing. In the, in the meantime, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. They've been experiencing God's love through the person of Christ. Now he says, guys, you know what real love looks like. Now I want you to do that for each other. You're gonna need to support each other in a big way once my physical presence isn't there. Amen. What do we do when we're faced with the struggles of life? We lean on each other. We help each other. We take that love that Christ gave us and we make sure we give it to each other. Verse 36, Simon Peter, uh, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? I, I like Peter's answer. This is what I would have said. I'm with Peter on this one. I'm going away. You can't come. By the way, love each other. This is the most important thing for disciples to do. Rather than ask, okay, well, teach us more about the love thing. He skips that. He doesn't even ask a follow-up question. He just says, where are you going? Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that you're going away thing. Now, I heard you say it before to the Jews, and it makes sense. You don't want to be around them. They hate you, but Lord, we love you. What's this business about going away? Verse 37 or 36 rather whither I go thou canst not follow me now but thou, thou shalt follow me afterwards Peter said unto him Lord why cannot I follow thee now I will lay down my life for thy sake just in case you're talking about dying Lord I'm willing to die with you and Peter was it just wasn't the will of God say I'm so tired of life I just want to end it that may not be the will of God if God wanted to end your life, he could. But maybe he wants to keep you here for another reason. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. He says, Peter, not only am I going to go away and you can't be with me, you're going to mess up. Huge. The mistake you're going to make is going to haunt you. It's going to hurt. Can you imagine how devastating that was for Peter to hear this? Because at, in the moment, he had the desire to even go to prison or death, right? He was willing in the moment. But you know as well as I do, you can sit in a church, hear a sermon, and get fired up and committed and dedicated and say, God, I'll do anything for you. You get out there in the midst of the world and the people gather around the fire, warming their hands. They go, aren't you one of them? no. Aren't you? The pressures of life can really change your mind quickly, can't they? Based on what was just said, he knew the hearts of the disciples were troubled. They were now feeling chaos where there should be peace, order, and stability. They knew the way forward. Let's just follow Jesus. 
Whatever he tells us to do, we'll do. When we see him walk, we'll walk. When he preaches, we can follow along and do likewise. But now he's going away. That throws the whole system out the window. Sometimes your life gets turned completely upside down and it's not your choice. Somebody else did something. Their hearts are troubled and he says, guys, listen, let not your heart be troubled. Let me explain to you what's going to happen both in the short term and in the long term, in the immediate future and in the distant future. Let me tell you that once the gun sounds and you start running this race without me there as your pace car to help you know where the turns are going to be, once I'm gone, I want you to know this and this and this is going to happen, but eventually this is how it ends. And this is said to them to offer some stability so that when a problem finds them as they're running the race, they don't get completely knocked off track and go, wow, I didn't think this would happen. Watch what he tells them in chapter 15. If you would just flip the page over. Chapter 15, verse 19. And obviously there's much more that can be said here. I'm just going to give you a, a little taste of what they were told here are some of the short-term problems they were promised if you were of the world the world would love his own but because you're not of the world but I have chosen you out of the world therefore the world hateth you he goes on to say the servant is not greater than his master and on he says listen if they hated you or if they hated me and persecuted me you're going to feel that too come to the end of chapter 16 if you would Chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. So when it happens, you need not freak out, panic, and think, oh my soul, I must have done everything wrong. This is part of being in the world still. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So do you see he's telling them, guys, you're, you're going to face sorrow. You're going to face tribulation, persecution, hatred. These things are going to happen. However, while these things are happening, he also promises them this. Look at chapter 14, verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Wow, I'm so glad of that. Now listen to this. As you're going through it, you go, oh, what am I going to do if this happens? What will I do if that happens? You have somebody in you that will always be there to teach you in the moment what to do. Whew. I'm not alone. I don't have to figure it out all by myself. At any moment, I have somebody there to comfort me. That's a great promise. He says, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Can I just say that you can't remember if you did not learn it at one point, right? First, he must teach you to begin with and then later he can bring it to remembrance. This is why we beg you, spend serious time reading your Bible because in the moment, while you're reading it, you may not need to know that right then and there. But later next week or next month or five years from now, the Holy Spirit will bring that thing to your remembrance and say, you remember that I told you when you go through something, this is how you're going to manage it. 
You go, man, I'm so glad I made a note in my Bible for that. If you don't read it to begin with, he can't bring it to remembrance. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you. Years ago, there was an old Texas preacher named Jack Wood. Little old fellow, but he wore a big cowboy hat. That made him a man. <laughs> Brother Wood, he, he was a rough fellow. He had a church in Houston and bad part of town. Bad part. I've been there. I've been there. They have security guards in the car park, about five of them with armed guards because people kept stealing their cars during the service. Thugs would come into the church during the church service and rob people. This is a stick-up kind of thing. That didn't last long with Brother Wood. They came in one time, and Brother Wood was preaching. About four or five of them came in, put their guns in the air, said, all right, everybody stop. Give us your purses, give us your wallets. Brother Wood laughed. He said, you boys don't know what church you're in. He said, uh, if any of you brought your gun, go ahead and let them see it right now. And the whole church reached <laughs> All 250 of them pulled out their, their gun. I mean, Grandma Omar with a 44 Magnum. <laughs> Holding up with two hands because it's too heavy, you know. I mean? <laughs> Brother Wood got up to preach one time. And he's preaching to about a thousand people. He takes his gun out of his coat pocket, sits it on the pulpit. And he says, Jesus said, peace I leave with you and I got my peace right here. <laughs> Now, that's not quite the same peace, right? <laughs> that's a different kind of a peace. Jesus, he gives us something much better. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Can I focus in on one phrase? My peace. He didn't say just peace, my peace. How calm, cool, and collected do you think Jesus is in the face of trouble? Not only do we see how well he handled the pains and the pressures and the persecution of the cross, but folks, he's on the other side. He's seated at the right hand of God. The victory's been won. He is much more than a conqueror. He's already overcome. And he says, my peace I give unto you. So I've said it for years, and now you can see that it's a biblical statement. The only time you should get worried is when God gets worried. When Jesus gets worried, then you can get worried. Until then, let that peace rule in your heart. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in the immediate future, persecution, pain, sorrow, hatred, tribulation, these things are gonna get you. But while, while they're happening, a peace that passes all understanding has been promised to you. A comforter, a spirit of truth that will live inside and guide you and help you maneuver through all the hard times. But then if, that's, if those promises weren't good enough, Jesus says, let me tell you about the finish line. John 14, verse 2. This is where it all ends up. This is the distant future. Guys, in my Father's house are many mansions. He takes them to the very end. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? You believe what God said? You believe his promises? All right, then the same way you trust God's promises from the Old Testament 
All those prophecies have come to pass. Now, trust me, I'm telling you something that no one else has heard about. Believe me when I say to you, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, that word mansion, it means a dwelling place. That's all that it means. We, when we talk about a mansion, we're talking about a massively big house, yes? The way that the word mansion has often been used is just a small, much like the servants' quarters that you see in people's backyards. It's that size of a house. It's a dwelling place. So notice it says, in my father's house, that's God's dwelling place, are many mansions. There's many buildings, if you will, many residences. And then Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. So if, if there was a different conclusion to that, I would have explained it to you. But this is actually how good it is. I go to prepare a place for you. So we have the Father's house, that's his dwelling place, mansions, a number of dwelling places, and then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, does that mean you get your own mansion? Does that mean you get your own house? Does that mean you get your own room in the mansion? You ready for the answer to this? I don't care. I'm at my father's house. I don't care. I'll sleep on the floor. <laughs> It'll be made of gold anyway. <laughs> I'll have a golden bed. <laughs> I don't care. I've heard Greek professors get all tied up in knots trying to explain the difference between the house, the mansion, and the place, and I don't care. You know what I care about? I'm going to be where he's at. I don't care what the building is around me. I don't care about that. He says, guys, if you look at the promise, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. That's all I care about. You know, what, what was the problem? What got their heart troubled? I'm going away and you can't come. So you know what he says to comfort them? Don't worry, I'm going to be away for a little while, but it's going to be over soon. And when I come to fetch you, we're going to be together again and you'll never have to leave my side again. Forever you will be with the Lord. That, no matter what I'm going through, sickness, debt, pain, persecution, tribulation, I can wake up and make it through the day thinking today might be the day that I see my Savior face to face. And when I do, I'll never have to leave his side again. That can keep me going. I've given you the verse on your paper. If I could refer you to that, please. Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Have you shed any tears this week? Have you done some crying? Done some weeping? Has your heart broken? Said goodbye to a loved one recently? You have a family member that you know is suffering and in pain? There's nothing you can do except pray? You know that people are struggling with a life that, worldly speaking, they have no hope. You wish you could do something to help them, but there's nothing you can do. Now, what do you tell somebody in that situation? One day, friend, God shall wipe away all tears. These problems are not forever. Oh, look at this list. And there shall be no more death. Oh, man. 
Oh, no more funerals. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Now, all you old folks, let me hear you say amen at that. <laughs> no more pain. You younger folks, like, what's pain? <laughs> pain for who? <laughs> You'll find out. <laughs> Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, this is a wonderful list. Can I just point out one thing I, that stood out to me about it? God shall wipe away all tears. One day the hand of the almighty creator of the universe nail scar included is going to brush against my face he is going to be so close to actually touch my tears and wipe them away I tell you what, the race might get long and it might get rough and it might be uphill and there might be inclement weather and all that but man I can keep pressing on with this blessed hope this wonderful expectation to feel my savior's touch on my face years ago jesus he told the disciples get into the boat guys we're going to the other side they got in the boat jesus was tired and in his human form he fell asleep in the back of the boat a storm kicked up and it starts to rock the boat and the boat begins to fill with water and the disciples do what any of us would have done. They begin to panic and they begin to doubt whether or not their master cares about them. Have any of you gotten to that point where, where life throws you side to side and you begin to say, God, do you actually care about me? I know theoretically, you know, the Bible says you do, but come on. The boat is filling up and you're asleep. You're nowhere to be found in this situation. You're not doing anything. The disciples, the story says, run to him, wake him up. Master, master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus stands and says, oh, ye of little faith. He first rebukes them and then he rebukes the wind and the waves and says, peace, be still. Calm down. Just calm down. That's good advice, not just for nature, but for your troubled heart. Just calm down. He, Jesus, offered stability in an extremely chaotic time. You know what the problem was for the disciples in that case? And again, I don't fault them too much. I would have done the same thing. Jesus said, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. We have been told by the master of the sea, we're going to make it. We know how this boat ride ends. Once you get into the boat with Christ, you are going to make it to the other side. That doesn't eliminate a few storms. There's going to be the storms of life are still going to blow. They're going to, they're going to find you. But man, if Jesus is in the boat, you can make it through that storm. I've never sung this before, but I heard it this week. I've heard it many times, actually, but I, I, I found this song this week sung by a very well-known preacher in America. He was dying of cancer. And he got up and sang this, and my goodness, it moved that church, and it moved my heart, and I hope it moves yours. Once I drifted out in sin, 
had no hope nor joy within, and my soul was burdened down with pride. When my Savior came along, and he showed me I was wrong, and now I know I'm on the winning side. Well, I'm on the winning side, yes, I'm on the winning side. In sin no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. From the straight and narrow way, I was drifting every day. Put upon the waters deep and wide. But it's all over now, glory light is on my brow, and my soul is on the winning side. I will never have a fear, for my Lord is ever near, and in Him so often I confide. He's the keeper of my soul since I gave Him full control, and He placed me on the winning side. Well, I'm on the winning side, yes, I'm on the winning side, in sin no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. I'm so glad to know how the last page of the story reads. We win. And it's not that I had some great hand in it. The one who is more than a conqueror, the one who already ran the race, fought the battle, won the victory, he is now seated in the heavens at the right hand of God, the anchor for our soul, so that we don't drift away too far. The victory's won. Praise God, we're on the winning side. He said this to the disciples to offer stability. So when things get rough, just know how it ends. This race is worth running. Number two, he said this to the disciples to order their steps. You can write on your paper to order our steps. These words offer stability and they order our steps. I've given you a verse on the outline. Psalm 119 verse 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Preacher, how do I find victory over sin? How do I find victory over uh, addiction? Habitual problems. Order my steps in thy word. Lord Jesus, tell me how to maneuver through this life. And this promise, the Bible says in 1 John 3, verse number 3, if any man has this hope in himself, he purifies himself. He purifies himself. I know where I'm going. I know the final destination of this journey. And therefore, I'm able to properly pack for the trip. If I come to your house today and say, let's go for a trip, let's go. You have no idea how long we'll be gone, where we're going. How, should I pack? 
anything? And if I should pack, what should I pack? Right? Where are we going? How long will it take to get there? Maybe you've heard another song. I won't take time to sing it. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Francois taught on it this morning. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're just passing through. This isn't the final destination. This world is just the terminal. You go to the airport to catch a plane, you have to wait in the terminal. This is just the terminal. One day I'm going to catch a plane. One day the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day we hear that blessed ding, now boarding. Can I give you a couple tips? Because you know that this world is just the terminal. We're waiting for, the, uh, for Jesus Airline right, to come and pick us up. It, it, you, number one, if this is the terminal, pack light. Pack light. You don't need to put a lot of clothes in the suitcase because you're going to get a new body anyway. And the Bible says when you get to heaven in Revelation 19, they give you fine white linen to wear. You don't need to pack much. It looks kind of clunky to move through a terminal with a bunch of suitcases and stuff weighing you down. Pack light. Travel light. I hope you can read into that. I hope you think about that for a moment. And can I also say pack appropriately. Pack appropriately. If you are going to a cold weather destination, you may not need to pack a bathing suit. If you're going to a warm weather destination, you may not need to pack a coat, right? Pack appropriately. Where I'm going, the Bible says we need to be laying up gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the things that will abide at the judgment seat of Christ and last forever and turn into rewards. So I've given you another verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth what righteousness pack appropriately if it ain't right don't pack it because the only thing that will last in that new heavens and new earth and new jerusalem where we stay forever is righteousness so if it ain't right you can't bring it they'll check your bags at the gate and throw it out <laughs> The only thing dwelling there is righteous. By the way, this is why, sinner, please, dear friend, listen. If you've never been justified by the blood of Christ, the word justified means declared righteous. You cannot live in this new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. You cannot live with God forever if you've never been saved and washed clean of all your sin because the only thing allowed into this place is righteousness. You must have the imputed, the borrowed, if you will, righteousness of God. He offers it to you today freely. Jesus paid for this gift. He wants to take your sins and replace it with his righteousness. And this will allow you to enter into this wonderful new reality God is preparing for us. 
pack light, pack appropriately. And one more thing, don't forget your visa. Don't forget your visa. And it's not, it's not stamped into your passport with normal ink, right? The passport that I'm talking about is your soul. We all have a passport. Thank God we don't have to go to home affairs for that passport. <laughs> Otherwise, you may never get a soul. <laughs> yeah, it's lost in the mail. Hey, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Your passport is your soul and you cannot enter eternity with God if you don't have the proper stamp, not with the ink of this world, but with the blood of Christ so that it never fades away. Say, so what does visa mean? Victory is secured already. Visa. You gotta have that visa. And the only one that has ever secured the victory, he actually rose up from the grave. That's the only one that can give you that very necessary visa. The trumpet will sound, and if that visa is not stamped in your passport, you've missed the flight. You've missed the flight. You see, knowing where I'm going, knowing what to expect on the other side, that wood, hay, and stubble burn up, gold, silver, precious stone, righteousness, that's what's going to remain forever. Those are the things I need to be busy with and packed for. I've given you a quote from A.W. Tozer at the bottom of your outline. Please mind this. The spiritual man habitually makes eternity judgments instead of time judgments. He's preparing for eternity. By faith, he rises above the tug of earth and the flow of time and learns to think and feel as one who has already left the world and gone to join the innumerable company of angels and the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. Such a man would rather be useful than famous and would rather serve than be served. And all this must be by the operation of the Holy Spirit within him. No man can become spiritual by himself. Only the free spirit can make a man spiritual. A person who is under the control of the Holy Spirit is going to think eternally. He is going to look to the end of the race and say, let me run the race with this destination in mind. Can I bring your attention back to John 14, please, as we finish today? In verse 3, Jesus said, if I go. Brother, sister, he went. The plan has been started. It's been initiated. He, he left. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, back in the biblical times, the Jews had a custom surrounding their marriages. When a young man would get engaged to a young lady, the two would then spend time separated, approximately a year. While they were separated from each other, they were preparing for the marriage. The Jewish male, the man would go and build a house so that the night of their marriage, they could move into that house and that became their dwelling. And while that man was away preparing a place for them, the woman was expected to be getting advice from other older ladies on how to be a good wife. And she would stay busy day in and day out preparing her dress, making it as beautiful and as lavish, lavish as she could. 
I find that so interesting because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are sanctified by the washing of the water by the word and what we're supposed to wash is our dress. Have you read that in Ephesians 5? That the dress that we put on, that outward testimony, that manner of life, it is supposed to be free from every spot and every wrinkle. We are preparing our dress We are getting advice from as many people as we can to be the spouse we need to be to this wonderful man we're going to marry. But while that man's away, you know what he's doing? Preparing a place. Exactly what Jesus said he was doing. It was a Jewish custom that the young man who's building the house did not know when he would get married. Jewish custom. Only the father knew. Hence, when Jesus came to the earth, he says, I'm coming again, but no man knows the day or the hour. Not the Son, not the angels in heaven, only the Father knows. Jesus didn't say, I can't know it. He just says, I don't know it. There's a difference. He willingly submitted to a set of customs and culture that was nothing sinful or wrong, but something that was familiar to the people he was ministering to at the time. And he says, one day, guys, you don't know the day or the hour, but the bridegroom's going to come. And when he does, people will go forth before and say, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh, and you better have your lamps ready because if you don't have the visa stamped into the passport, you might miss it. We don't know the day or the hour. All we know is Jesus did go, and therefore he is coming again. That helps us order our steps. What do we do then in the meantime? We stay busy working on that manner of life, keeping it without spot or wrinkle, getting more and more advice, washing ourselves with the sanctification offered by the word and saying, God, please form me into the spouse that is worthy of your son. Take my life and let it be evermore just like thee. Friend, today maybe. You've come to church this morning with a troubled heart. And I hope, I hope by looking at this passage, you can feel the Holy Spirit bringing to your remembrance you have no need to be troubled, no need to fear. The finish line is drawing ever closer. One day the trumpet will sound and you'll feel the hand of the Savior brush away those tears and forever you'll be with the Lord. Let's all stand if you would please have our heads bowed and our eyes closed heads bowed and eyes closed can I ask you just in the beginning the music will play softly do you have that visa stamped in your passport you see a visa is when a foreign country offers you permission to enter their their boundaries their borders You need to have permission from God to enter His dwelling place before you get there. You don't just knock on the door and surprise Him. Victory is secured already, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've never received Him as your Savior today, you turn to Him and say, Lord, I don't want to miss that flight. Please stamp my soul with the blood of Christ. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Make me clean. Where only sin was, please remove it and put righteousness. 
Now, friend, if you've already been saved, I hope today that you can rejoice in this wonderful promise. Yes, you're going to have to run the race, but with purpose. You can run it with joy. You know how it ends. This week, if you get discouraged, I want you to stop and just think of Jesus up there preparing a place for you. Maybe He even looked down, give you a quick wink and say, one day soon. One day soon. I'm going to pray and close the service. Could I ask if anybody here, I'd like to pray for two different things. Anybody here say, Pastor, I don't think I've ever had that visa stamped in my passport. I've never been saved. But I'd like to have Christ come in and save me now. Just pray for me. I, I can't save you, mind you, but I can just pray that God helps you with it. Anybody like that? You can just put your hand up, put it right back down. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate the honesty. Now you can just slip it up, put it right back down. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Anybody else here say, Pastor, I, I've, it's not just been a bad week or month. It's just, it just seems to always be troubled waters. And I'm struggling to find stability and to order my steps. Pastor, would you just pray that God helps me to get my feet back under me? Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else say, Pastor, please help me. Help me pray about this, Pastor. Troubled waters. Thank you. Appreciate that. Amen. Lord, you've seen these hands go up. Some of these, Lord, they're, they're missing that visa in the passport. They need to be saved, God, please. Oh, what wonderful peace and help they're, they're missing out on. Today, might this be the day that they have Christ come in never to leave again. Lord, the, the room was filled with raised hands, people going through rough times. Remind them, Lord, that you're still in the boat. Please, Lord, before you calm the waters, calm their hearts. And do so by helping them to remember this race is not going to last forever. There is an end to this. And it's a glorious end. God, help them to keep running. Help them to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help all of us, God, this week to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. Thank you for the exceeding great and precious promise that you will come again. Lord, we want to see you. We want to feel your hand brush against our cheek. We're tired of failing you, Lord. We're tired of, of the discouragement that we feel. We're, we're tired of of giving in to the pressures of life. We just want to be near you, Lord. God, we beg you, please, let it be sooner rather than later. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.